Hello and welcome to Saw Something Scary episode 72. If you're a regular listener, you know my voice already. If you're not though, let me introduce myself. I'm Jeff, one of the regular co-hosts. And if you are one of those regular listeners, you know that normally Derek is the one who opens our episodes, but it's entirely possible that this week's movie killed his health. And so you're flying solo with me today, and I'm glad you're along for the journey. Uh, We are looking at 2018's The Cloverfield Paradox that completes our walk through the Cloverfield franchise. I guess it's a trilogy for the time being, but we all expect more movies coming out from J.J. Abrams under this banner. Um, This movie dropped last year, right after the Super Bowl, kind of as a surprise as the Cloverfield uh, franchises want to do. Showed up on Netflix without a lot of fanfare, and um, I don't think I'm spoiling anything to say that it was roundly criticized and largely rejected by the uh, movie-going, movie-watching audience. But we're going to jump into the details a little bit here on this episode, see if we can find anything redeemable or if it's just all trash. Um, But before we do that, we're going to go through some of our regular segments. And so we will begin this week with Jeff H. Trailers. Now, I mentioned that Derek's health has failed him this week uh, entirely due to the Cloverfield Paradox, uh, at least potentially. Uh, But before that took place, he had done his due diligence to gather up some trailers for us to look at. And in in a happy coincidence, uh, these were all movies that I was already interested in, but didn't know if I would want to watch. And so they fell under the heading of trailers I'm going to check out to uh, to see if I want to see them, uh, you know, the, the full length movies they represent. And uh, we're going to start with a movie called Lizzie. And you probably are aware of this one if you're a horror movie fan or a true crime fan. If you listen to this podcast, you know I'm both. This is a movie about Lizzie Borden and the mysterious murders of her family, which have, you know, from the moment they took place, uh, people have been suspicious that Lizzie is the one who carried the murders off. But man, when you look at the details, it's just really hard to figure out how she might have done that. So we've got a new movie. Uh, uh, coming out that, that's uh, going to address those historical events. Again, titles Lizzie. Uh, the, the summary is a psychological thriller based on the infamous 1892 murders of the Borden family. And if you're someone who doesn't want trailers spoiled for you, you might want to tune out for a little while because I'm going to walk through this trailer just a little bit. Uh, the movie stars Chloe Sevigny and Kristen Stewart, who are both fine actresses. Uh, but also, if you've if you followed Chloe Sevigny's career, you know that any movie she's in is likely to have some gross and explicit sex scene in it. Um, I'm not sure why that has worked out that way, but some of her most uh, notable roles uh, kind of carry that element for whatever reason. And I'm suspicious that this movie is going to do the same. So what the trailer sets up is that uh, Sevigny and Kristen Stewart's character, uh, Sevigny is playing Lizzie Borden. Uh, Kristen Stewart looks to be playing a servant within the household, and they apparently fall in love and begin working on some kind of conspiracy against their father. Uh, I think in real life, um, not Chloe, uh, Lizzie had a sister that she lived with her entire life, and I'm sure her neighbors speculated about her sexual preferences. I'm not sure that I really want to, I, I don't want to go to a movie to, to do the same thing to this real life person who existed and had uh, every right to expect the dignity of their personal life. But this is going to be part of the movie. And knowing Chloe's, again, her her, her background, I won't be surprised at all if uh, sexual themes become a major part of this movie. I don't know how you feel about that. That may be something that you're really excited to see in horror movies. That just does not add to uh, the the potential you know enjoyment of this movie for me in the least and so I, I really hate to see sort of that uh, rabbit trail get
get mixed into what is obviously a very historically compelling narrative and mystery. Um, the, the other thing that this movie does that has already got me kind of thinking this is going to be a skip, despite my love for the for the source material, is that the movie strongly implies that Lizzie's father was some sort of incestuous, abusive, um, you know, parent, and that that may have motivated her on the um, fateful night when uh, she or some other perpetrator uh, killed the family. And look, I guess you know when you're speculating, you can speculate about anything you want. But I'll be honest with you, this move uh, just really turns me off as someone who's consuming the story this movie's trying to tell. And I'll tell you why. I'm a native of Tennessee, and one of the best ghost stories anywhere uh, is rooted here in Tennessee. And it's the story of the Bell Witch in Adams, Tennessee. If you're unfamiliar with that, I'm not really sure how that could be the case, but I, I just strongly recommend that you go on a Wikipedia deep dive. And then uh, if you if you're more interested, hit me up because uh, there's there's lots of books that I have access to that I'll send your way if you want to read more about the mysterious goings on there at the Bell family farm. Uh, but a few years ago, there was a movie made uh, based on the Bell Witch, and it it was one that I really anticipated. I was super excited to see, and it had a pretty decent cast in it. It was, uh, I think, Donald Glover was the, the lead. He played John Bell. Um, Sissy Spacek was in the movie. Uh, James D'Arcy, Matthew Marsh. Um, it, yeah, it, it had a cast that made me think, you know what, this could be pretty pretty quality. And uh, I ended up going to see that movie. And what I found out was that it boiled all of the mysterious goings on around the Adams family, excuse me, the Bell family in uh, Adams, Tennessee, down to uh, the the way that what we call poltergeist activity, where we think there's a malicious spirit in a place that's moving stuff and tormenting people. Uh, they, they boiled the Bell Witch down to poltergeist activity uh, perpetrated unknowingly by the eldest daughter of the Bell family as a product of her father sexually abusing her. And again, much like with this movie, um, I just think that takes away from the power of the historical story. Uh, everything I've ever read on the Bell family is that John Bell, although very much a man of his time and subject to the uh, failures that are common to men, but particularly the, the failures that were common to his day, uh, was nonetheless an upright and honorable man uh, towards his family and towards his community. Um, it, it, it just seems to sully and actually take away from the, again, the, the power that that story has shown over many generations to hook people's interest and draw them in. And so adding in the love affair element between Stewart's character and Chloe Sevigny's character, the strong implication that the dad is a predator, um, all of that seems to put too neat a bow and sort of modern suspicions into this story that that weren't present there, at least not by and large, uh, in the original material, both with the Bell Witch and uh, and Lizzie Borden. If you're interested for some reason in that Bell Witch movie, a, a lot of you, I'm assuming, have seen it since this is a horror movie podcast. It was 2005's uh, An American Haunting. Uh, if you're interested in Lizzie Borden, more power to you. But I would just rather see this movie with those details edited out. And I really feel like there's a pandering, uh, you know, appeal to the to the Me Too movement at the very end of the trailer where um, Lizzie kind of takes a shot at her dad. Um, you know, guys, this may not bother you as much as it does me. Totally understand that. Feel free to let me know on uh, the Facebook group. We saw something scary or contact us on Twitter, however you feel like it. I, I just look at this movie and I feel like the people who are creating it don't think the source material is compelling enough. And so they need to add in these elements of, um, you know, sexual taboos and predatory men when it, it's crystal clear in the way that this case continues to be 
studied by people over the course of their life. And in and, and every generation, multiple new people come to the table. I think the material is good just as it is. And we don't need these kind of speculations to spice up the narrative. So it's going to take a lot for me to watch Lizzie after seeing the implications of that trailer. If you end up watching it and you think, hey, Jeff, you missed the boat on this. You were way too suspicious, too critical. You need to take another look at this. I would welcome to hear that. I'm happy to be wrong on this uh, on this movie because, as I said, I'm interested both in true crime and in horror movies. This should scratch both of those itches for me, but it, it appears that the way they've chosen to tell a story is just going to take away rather than enhance uh, yeah, the, my interest in, in both of those elements. Uh, the next movie is Maniac, and the, the synopsis on this is an institutionalized man dreams of a new life in a fantasy world. And this has a very interesting trailer because it is just the two leads. It is Jonah Hill and Emma Stone sitting across from one another at a sort of modernist table. They look to be wearing institutional coveralls and they are there are layers of color uh, superimposed over the image as again they just kind of sit there and stare at each other. I don't know if that signals that the people who are releasing this movie are, are scared that nobody's going to want to watch it if they show actual footage and so they're just showing you uh, Emma and Jonah as hey these are the you know these are the two reasons you should show up to watch this movie uh, or if they think look um, we can't give anything away because this movie is going to be so remarkable we want people to be caught cold uh, if it's the latter you know I'm on board with that and I appreciate that approach but nonetheless I just don't think there's much to be gleaned from the trailer right now except that two of the most popular actors uh, working right now are involved in it I tend to watch everything that Emma Stone is in so odds are I'll end up catching this one I will say the trailer made me think just a little bit uh, since I knew the premise as well that the film may be doing a bit of a ripoff of the uh, uh, I think it's on FX it's a Marvel product uh, it's called Legion it has Aubrey Plaza in it from Parks and Rec it's uh, you know sort of a niche show but it, it is well beloved by those who watch it it basically focuses on a, on a man who's mentally ill but has incredible uh, powers and they sort of sort out his psychosis through that show uh, maybe maybe not but the aesthetic of colors and uh, mental illness and whatnot made me think that that it was operating from the same visual uh, palette anyway so we'll see to what degree there are similarities between those two projects if any or if again I'm just off on wild speculation here today uh, lastly there's a movie called Forever coming out very soon that Derek had highlighted as one we might want to consider in, in this section. The, uh, the the synopsis is this. June and Oscar live a comfortable but very predictable wedded life when suddenly find themselves in completely unexpected situation raising questions about love and marriage. And I'll be honest, this movie doesn't really grab my interest at all. Now, some of you are going to take a completely different approach to this because it has Fred Armisen and Maya Rudolph in it, which, look, I don't blame you at all. I generally enjoy the projects those two are involved in. Uh, this one just doesn't really grip me, but I, I'll, I'll tell you another reason you may want to watch it. If you're into Wes Anderson movies, so The Life Aquatic with Steve Zissou, um, oh, what was that hotel movie he, he did that everybody loves so much? Uh, the Darjeeling Limited, um, The Grand Bu- Budapest Hotel, Fantastic Mr. Fox, The Royal bombs, Rushmore. Uh, hard to criticize him as a filmmaker, but if you're into his work, at least based on the trailer, it appears that this, uh, I think I called it a movie er- movie earlier, but it's not a movie. It's a series on Amazon Prime. Uh, this, this series will probably appeal to you in the same way his films do. Uh, I'm not going to check it out again. I'm, I'm going to skip this one, but if you end up watching it and you think it's worth giving a, giving a look, please uh, let us know. Uh, otherwise, that'll just be 
one that uh, Amazon will offer that I think I will let pass by and I'll give my attentions elsewhere. All right. So now that we've looked at Lizzie, Maniac, and Forever, that will bring us to the end of this week's Jeff H. Trailers. It sets us up for this week's a few things I'm going to put in front of you that I would normally be throwing at Derek to get his commentary on. So the first bit of good news we got this week is that Stranger Things Season 3 will be heavily influenced by John Carpenter. So this comes from, we got this covered by Matt Joseph, and here's the relevant content. Netflix's Stranger Things has been mapped out in such a way that each new chapter takes place one year after the last. So while Season 2 was set in Hawkins in the year 1984, the third season of the spooky drama is poised to jump ahead to 1985, and it'll seemingly be even darker than previous installments. So me up. Uh, I've really enjoyed sort of the whimsical air of this, um, of this project uh, thus far. I have enjoyed that it's not over the top scary so that people like my wife who don't enjoy horror movies can enjoy it as well. But if they're going to go deeper and darker, uh, I'm all in favor of that. Matt Joseph says, obviously that's music to our ears. And perhaps unsurprisingly, we're now learning that the great John Carpenter's influence will be felt throughout the new run. That's according to producer Sean Levy, who spoke with Bad TV recently and apparently stressed that season three is the most ambitious one yet. Yet, begin quote, I cannot go into the specifics, but as you saw, the second season has become more cinematic, much more based on the characters than the first, and this evolution will continue with the third. It will be a season with more action than ever before. There will also be very much of the ghost of John Carpenter and other 80s horror directors here. Well, hallelujah and bring it on. Uh, this series can't get here fast enough for us anyway, I'm assuming you agree, and uh, that they're going to mix in some more of the John Carpenter movie making DNA is, you know, well-received news to my ears. Uh, as you guys have probably heard before, if you listened, Halloween is, you know, one of the top two or three horror movies in my list. Definitely my favorite slasher. Uh, but The Thing, which we've covered in our archives, um, or Christine, which is sort of this happy confluence of Stephen King and John Carpenter that is sitting in my Blu-ray collection right now, is another movie that I love deeply. I hope to maybe cover on the podcast someday. Uh, yeah, I can't I can't say enough good things about bringing the strengths of Stranger Things more, uh, more completely into alignment with the strengths of John John Carpenter. So let's just get that series out so we can all watch it, please. Speaking of strength and good news, uh, Jordan Peele in his project Twilight Zone, which is going to be available on CBS All Access, is going into production later this year. We got that update in a chat between Deadline and CBS All Access execs Mark DeVoice and, excuse me, Mark D. DeVoice. <laughs> my, my reading there got a little too hasty. And Julie McNamara, here's the quote. We have a writer's room. We have a first season of concepts, outline scripts, various stages of all these things. Of that 10 episodes a season, McNamara told Deadline, we're well on our way and we're going to start production in the next couple of months. Uh, Hallelujah again. Bring it on. Let's get this thing going right away. The new series will be produced by CBS Television Studios in association with Jordan Peele's Monkey Paw Productions and Simon Kimberg's genre films. Uh, Peele, Kimberg, and someone named Ramirez will executive produce for the series and collaborate on the premiere episode that comes from Bloody Disgusting's John Squires. Again, not much we can do with this except chomp at the bit and get ready uh, emotionally to see whatever it is Jordan Peele is going to unveil next. He's got a lot of irons in the fire and none of them are coming as quickly as I would like them to. That's not a fault of his. It's just that I have a real appetite for uh, seeing what he's going to do next after how great Get Out was, just like I assume most of you uh, are eager to hear from him, see what he's been working on. So let's get on this CBS, Jordan Peele. Uh, Your your fans are awaiting. And lastly, because it's relevant to this series that we're looking at uh, this episode and the 
the previous two, there is a Cloverfield fan film uh, named Megan. And the heading that uh, I saw on Bloody Disgusting, also from John Squires, kind of caught my attention. Thought maybe those of you who are interested enough to listen to us watch through Cloverfield might want to track it down. Uh, Squires of Bloody Disgusting says the, the Cloverfield Universe fan film Megan is surprisingly exceptional. Here's his further commentary. We'd love to see J.J. Abrams embrace that potential and put the power in the hands of the universe's biggest fans, meaning he would like to see other people uh, brought into the creative process of Cloverfield. But in the meantime, one fan has taken it upon himself to expand with his own unofficial short. Directed by Greg Straz, Megan is billed as a proof of concept that pays tribute to Bad Robot's Cloverfield universe with inspiration taken from both Cloverfield and 10 Cloverfield Lane. Uh, Conspicuously absent there, if I can interject for just a moment, is the movie we're looking at here today. Uh, So, takes from Cloverfield and 10 Cloverfield Lane, as well as the franchise's websites, mangas, marketing campaigns, and the online ARG. And if that's not familiar to you, go back and listen to our episode on the original Cloverfield movie. We get into what ARGs are and how they've been so much a part of the Cloverfield universe. Uh, This is a five-minute short. It stars Matilda Lutz as the title character, who is presumably supposed to be Howard Stambler's daughter from 10 Cloverfield Lane, Megan. And yes, the monster makes an appearance. And so if you want to track down Megan, a Cloverfield fan film, uh, you can find that on YouTube. Or if for some reason that's, you know, Google's betraying you and you can't track it down, go over to Bloody Disgusting, put in Megan and Cloverfield in their search field, look for that piece by John Squires, and he links to it. This has been this week's and speaking of Cloverfield, that makes for an easy transition into the subject of this episode, which is 2018's The Cloverfield Paradox. So let's go ahead and pull the curtain on that movie. I need to state right up front here that as I talk about this movie, my views are my own and do not represent Derek Zuashkiani. He hated this movie. And again, it may be responsible for killing his health this week. He hated it so badly. Uh, but I, not surprisingly, probably, am taking just a slightly more positive positive look at this movie. Uh, here's what I'm going to tell you about this movie. It's clearly something that was shoehorned into the Cloverfield universe. You can almost see the scenes uh, that are the seams where uh, he took the original movie's concept, whatever they were they were developing that wasn't going to be connected to Cloverfield, uh, sewed on these uh, you know sections where we go back and see what's happening at Earth, and at the very end slaps on some material to, to connect it to Cloverfield directly. So all that's certainly true. This is kind of a patchwork quilt movie. But this This movie, as I mentioned in the intro, has been widely uh, panned by critics and viewers alike. It has been criticized for being disjointed and unremarkable and really a waste of time, just a complete failure. Uh, It's just really hard to find anything positive about this movie on the internet when you look for people commenting on it. This is not a great movie. This is not uh, a movie you're going to come back to in a couple years and say, man, I really, really miss watching The Cloverfield Paradox. I'm going to fire that up because I haven't watched it in a couple years. But I'm still going to say that the hate this movie has received is overdone and overblown. I think if this movie uh, basically had been disconnected from the name Cloverfield, if that ending scene uh, was stripped off of it and it was simply released as uh, a sci 
sci-fi horror movie on Netflix without all the baggage that comes with the Cloverfield label. I think people would have seen this movie as probably forgettable, but not nearly as loathsome as the online response to this movie has been. I think that people uh, seeing the name Cloverfield attached to it ramped up their expectations super high. And because the high expectations weren't met, the uh, the conclusion was is that this is a bad movie. This is not a particularly great movie, but this is not a movie that ranks among, uh, you know, incarnate or uh, a movie that I watched this last weekend uh, that I thought I would just mention in passing. I- I'd never seen the Jaws movie, uh, the Jaws movie franchise, and I'm really looking forward to the Meg. And so I thought, you know what? It's, uh, it's on Amazon Prime Video right now for no additional cost. I'm going to plow through the Jaws universe. And I really enjoyed Jaws. Even enjoyed Jaws Part 2. Uh, but Jaws 3, which I think was originally released as a 3D movie, um, it- it's one of the worst movies I've ever seen. <laughs> it's terrible. It's not even terrible in a way that, you know, is fun to make fun of it. It's just bad. Um, the Cloverfield Paradox doesn't belong in, in a category with Jaws 3 and uh, Incarnate, um, at least not in my opinion. And so with that said, just a few positive elements. Uh, maybe you're vomiting into a trash can right now hearing me say that this isn't a complete catastrophe, but nonetheless, a few things that I thought were were fun about the movie. One, the the guy playing the the scientist who, well, I'll tell you what, uh, I, need to, I need to save that detail until we give Mark Wahlberg his contractually obligated presence in this podcast. So come on in. What? No. Spoiler alert. Anyway, back to uh, back to my earlier point. So the guy who plays the the scientist who loses his arm and then regains it in a very odd relationship to that arm. He, uh, I, I first met him on an old school British show called The It Crowd or The IT Crowd. I've actually forgotten how you pronounce it, but it was a British comedy uh, about the IT department at a company. And if you like British humor, I, I really recommend this to you. It's dated. It shows its age, but uh, those guys were legitimately funny. And Roy played one. Uh, excuse me, that actor played Roy one the leads in the in the show and I, those guys still crack me up when I watch episodes today. Um, it was also interesting to see Baron ne- uh, Zemo from uh, the Avengers. No, excuse me, not the Avengers technically, the, the Captain America movies here working as uh, you know potentially a bad guy, maybe a good guy. I thought those guys were the most compelling actors in the movie anyway. A lot of the reviews that have something positive to say about this movie uh, focus in on the lead. Uh, I know her story was very poignant about missing her family back on Earth and you know the, the consequences of bad decisions that you can't undo. Uh, sure, I, I get why people like that. It just didn't resonate with me. But uh, yeah, these two guys that I that I had a prior relationship to, yeah, I was totally glad to see them again and enjoyed their work. They were the ones who kind of kept me hooked in the movie. Uh, another aspect of this movie that probably is uniquely enjoyable to me is the way it obviously is influenced by Event Horizon, which, uh, uh, you know, interestingly enough, another movie that Derek absolutely hates, but one that I love. I uh, don't love Cloverfield Paradox, but you can tell that Cloverfield Paradox was influenced by Event Horizon. It would be hard for a, a movie set in space on a spaceship to not be influenced by that uh, that film. But nonetheless, you see it particularly in the scene where the ship's engineer is in an airlock that's filling with water. Eventually, there's a rupture. It's exposed to the uh, temperatures of space and the vacuum there, and the water freezes instantaneously, uh, sealing her within this icy tomb uh, in the ship. Uh, that is clearly an homage to Justin being jettisoned into space from Event Horizon, and I was happy to see it. It, it delighted me to, to see them calling back to that. Uh, since we're already in spoiler territory, I just want to note that you know, by the time you get to the end of this movie, you're going to see the Cloverfield monster just briefly poke its head 
spread out uh, through the clouds. And as I already mentioned a couple times on this episode, it is clearly tacked on. This is something that uh, was added just to make the Cloverfield connection explicit. Uh, it rightly gets a lot of criticism for that front, uh, excuse me, for that aspect of the movie online. Uh, I'm not saying that, that criticism is wrong, but it is in this movie's DNA, uh, this movie franchise's DNA, to have these sort of tacked on moments that fit them into uh, the the universe of the Cloverfield monster. And I say that because if you listen to our episode last week, 10 Cloverfield Lane is a movie that would stand on its own if you only had uh, the protagonist waking up in the bunker, uh, dealing with uh, the, you know the the monster who's down there with her, and then escaping into the, to the world uh, that awaits her outside of the bunker. That would be a perfectly acceptable and even enjoyable movie. But they tack on a third act that is full of monsters and spaceships and, you know, lots of sci-fi goodness that I really enjoy and I'm happy to have in that movie. But it is just as tacked on to 10 Cloverfield Lane, that third act involving all the the space creatures, uh, as the appearance of the Cloverfield monster is to this movie. And so while I see people beating up on the movie for that, uh, you know, that monster poking its head out, and I get it, I nonetheless want to say, you know, most people enjoyed 10 Cloverfield Lane, rightly so, I think, and were happy to accept the the tacked on aspects of that film. So I think there might be some, I don't want to say hypocrisy, but some uh, some inconsistency in the way that that element of this film is criticized in relationship to the ones that were uh, the films that had gone before that were more widely lauded. Um, yeah, I mean, I guess really the only other positive thing that I enjoyed was uh, something I've referenced already. I really enjoyed seeing that uh, scientist lose his arm and then regain his arm and eventually come to be his arm's chief interpreter and figure out he's trying to write something and letting the arm uh, be, you know, some kind of means of communication. It is very much a, a, a MacGuffin in that way, but I thought it was a pretty pretty good way to, to bring the MacGuffin into the, the, the story. Uh, it, it's like the uh, the updated and J.J. Abrams version of Thing from the Adams Family, and I was happy to see there uh, see that there as, as a bit of comic relief in this movie. So, yeah, I'm not going to just uh, beat this movie over the head. There was some stuff I legitimately enjoyed within it. Um, now, to come full circle, I started off by saying that this movie is wrongly criticized because people's expectations for a Cloverfield movie set the bar so high uh, that if, at least I'm suspicious that if we could take away the Cloverfield Association, go back to right before the Super Bowl, see this movie just show up on Netflix as one that is available to stream, I think we wouldn't be looking at uh, this film as, as a historically terrible uh, historically terrible film. And I, I think you see this in the AV Club review. Um, now, I'll just all cards on the table. The AV Club is a, is a website I enjoy reading movie reviews on, uh, so I'm not trying to, to beat up on them, but I am going to tell you that I think they kind of get at uh, the inconsistency I mentioned earlier. So let me read you this excerpt. The first Cloverfield was a sort of found footage Godzilla movie, while 10 Cloverfield Lane was a Twilight Zone-like exercise with three strangers trapped in a bunker. At the very least, they dealt in recognizable human behaviors, panic, paranoia. But the characters of the Cloverfield Paradox, most of whom are distinguished only by their names and flag patches on their jumpsuits, are dubiously motivated. So here's the thing. I'm not quite on board with that criticism of the movie. I feel like these characters are differentiated enough. Um, But, you know, I'm happy to hear this reviewer make that criticism. But notice again that it's housed in comparison to the other Cloverfield movies. So after criticizing the way that these characters aren't distinguished and don't have clear motivations, the next line says, this isn't unusual for hard sci-fi where characterization is a tertiary concern. Here again, I'm going to say, yeah, that's exactly right. This is a straightforward sci-fi movie, uh, one that I feel like I've seen versions of forever. And this is 
not really a unique weakness to this movie. This is kind of how the genre works. Carrying on with the AV Club review, but this material isn't exactly swimming in compelling ideas. Heck, it doesn't even have any paradoxes. Instead, it runs by rapidly depleting one generic premise after another, with the search for a new energy source as an unwitting analogy for the workings of the whole. Yet again, I'm going to say, uh, of course, that's what sci-fi does. The best in the genre move us forward. The best in the genre bring new ideas to the table. But there are lots of perfectly serviceable sci-fi movies out there uh, that that sort of rehash these same ideas. Uh, think about a movie like Life, which uh, you know was not a beloved movie, but it was one that kind of passes as tolerable sci-fi. If you're sitting at home uh, one Friday night wanting to watch a sci-fi movie, you're kind of, okay, I'll watch this one and I don't regret my time being spent, uh, even if it didn't become one of my favorite movies or stand out as a remarkable film. Uh, I think that's true for the Cloverfield Paradox as well. Uh, it's nothing new, but it is kind of a happy collection of certain elements we've seen in sci-fi put together in a way that that isn't completely odious, at least not in my eyes. So to wrap up that review, uh, much has been made over the years about Abrams Mystery Box, a storytelling model of pure tease. In the case of the Cloverfield Paradox, it is just a fancy word for junk drawer. A- again, okay, if you if you see this as a Cloverfield movie, which, hey, guess what? That's on J.J. Abrams. He's the one who made the choice. You're going to be disappointed. And that's all right and good. But don't artificially denigrate uh, the movie because it didn't rise to the expectations we have set for the Cloverfield universe. It's a tolerable movie. It's not worthy of the Cloverfield uh, brand. And J.J. And Abrams is the one who slapped it on there. But nonetheless, to come back and look at it as a movie in and of itself, it's not quite worthy of all the hate and vitriol it's received online. Again, at least in my opinion, you do with that what you want to. And speaking of doing with that what you want to, let me give you DZ's notes, uh, uh, Zoo's notes for this movie before his voice was sadly taken from him. I quote, this movie is terrible. Who allowed this to happen? I have nothing good to say about this movie. This movie ranks up there with Bye Bye Man as the worst piece of garbage we've had to review. I had to try to watch this three times. The first time I turned it off 15 minutes in. The second time I fell asleep. Uh, (laughs) I fell asleep sitting up because I was so bored. The third time I made it through but I hated myself the entire time. Uh, I'm assuming that a great number of you are saying, yes, Derek is correct. This is hot garbage and uh, the, the least bad thing it can do to you is put you to sleep. Okay, fair enough. I'm, I'm, I'm assuming I'm in the minority on this. Uh, again, I just want to argue that this movie is not a particularly great movie, but it's also not uh, one of the most terrible movies ever made, which uh, my, my fellow Saw Something Scary host, Derek Zhu, uh, likens it to with that comparison to Bye Bye Man. So either way, guys, uh, do with that, again, what you want want to, but let us know what you do with that. Uh, you think I'm wrong? Get at us on social media at Scary Podcast uh, on Twitter. Uh, find us at forward slash r forward slash saw something scary on Reddit or uh, specifically look at talking back to us through the Facebook group known as We Saw Something Scary. I know there's a lot of people who have good reason to check out on Facebook right now. Uh, I'm going to say We Saw Something Scary is one of the reasons to stay involved or even join. Uh, maybe don't do anything else with Facebook, but just come hang out with us in that Facebook group. I think you'll find that worth your time. Um, uh, let me know how crazy you think I am or if on some you know slight chance you think DZ representing the more harsh version of the take on this movie you think he's he's gone too far we, uh, we would love to hear that as well I know Derek would welcome that feedback uh, guys if you're interested in catching up with Derek uh, and, and seeing what he has going on you can find him at Derek Zoo on most social media platforms I'm at Right Jeff on the same and of course we're always going to appeal to you and, and ask you if you if you would be so kind as to go to iTunes and leave us a review for this show uh, we would greatly appreciate that. Of course, we covet the five-star reviews, but um, if you can't honestly offer one of those, no big deal. We totally understand. Uh, give us give us what you feel like you can actually offer us. Either way, we're glad to see that. Uh, we're glad to hear that feedback and, and sort of adapt the show to what you as our audience really want to hear from us. And so if you 
wouldn't be so kind next time you're sitting at a computer to fire up iTunes and leave us a review. We would greatly appreciate that. Uh, next week, we're anticipating Derek being back to health and uh, looking forward to that. Also, the movie we've got planned to watch is one that, that we've been kicking around for quite some time, and I'm really excited to, to give it a, a watch. That is Rosemary's Baby, the classic of the genre. And so if you guys haven't seen Rosemary's Baby in some time, this week would be a good week to, to watch that again so that you can come into the next episode of Saw Something Scary with us with that content fresh on your mind. Well, that's all we've got for this week, guys. Thanks for riding with me on this uh, solo journey, and I hope that you have a great week. Until we talk to you next time, thanks again for tuning in to Saw Something Scary. Bye-bye, man. Bye-bye, man.